Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic, a promise was given and the blessing is coming. A promise was given and the blessing is coming. You know, in a lot of different context and in a lot of different people's theological strains. They look at what different numbers mean in the Bible, and in some places they're correct, and in other places it gets allegorical. And But I, I want to share with you, and I think I'm on good ground by saying this, that there's many places in the Bible where 40 signified a time of testing. When you look at the amount of years that the people were in the wilderness, when you look at Noah and how long he was in the ark, when you look at Jesus, how long he was tested in the wilderness— it all had the number of 40. And I just thought in my heart today that, you know, when you cross 40, it means you've passed a time of testing. How many people in here know what I'm talking about? Some people, they'll be with you when times are good. But as soon as the test kicks in, do I have any witness of that? Soon as it gets hot in the kitchen, we used to say. And all of a sudden, they have other places they want to be and other things God's called them to do. But when you make it through 40, it means you've written an examination. You've taken a test. You've passed a test. And you're entering into a new season. Sometimes the promises of God, he gives us promises and we think they're going to happen tomorrow. And God is saying, no, they will happen, but you have to be patient. Oh, Jesus. I want you to allow yourself to be examined, proven, tested that your faithfulness is ready, that you trust me at any time. My Lord, I'm already going off the script. You know, I remember sitting in a theological, uh, I was in seminary, and they said, why did Jesus take them in the wilderness, feed them by manna, in which they had to depend on him every single day? Why didn't he give them enough for a month up front? Why didn't he give them enough for a year up front? How many of us, we like to have to depend on God every single day? Be honest with me. <laughs> Can I come down here for a second? Some of us, you know, we, we know we should, but we would like it if God gave us everything we needed up front in the beginning of the year. Do I have any witnesses of that? If, if you could rewrite it where he said, here's all you need for the rest of your life. And, but, but he didn't treat the Israelites that way. He said, what I'm going to do is every morning when you need bread, I'm going to send it. And that's enough for one day. Someone say with me one day. He says, when you need to find out where we're going to go tomorrow, you're going to have to look up and you'll see a pillar of fire at night and you're going to have to see a cloud by day. And I'm going to tell you that next step that you have to take. And in the next day, you're going to be hungry again and you're going to have to rely on me to send manna again for one day. Someone say with me, one day. And they said, why? Why would God use that methodology? And they explained to us in painstaking ways, he was teaching them that he will never fail them. He was teaching them that you could always depend on me every single day. Because when you depend on God on Monday and he shows up on Monday and you have to rely on God on Tuesday and he shows up on Tuesday and you, have to, you need something from God and he shows up on Wednesday and then you depend on God again on Thursday and says, I'm going to be there with you on Thursday. He's teaching you, I will be with you every single day. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never just delegate you to someone else. I'm with you in the midst every single moment of your experience. 
So he chose a method that says, you can trust me every single day. My Lord, my Lord. And I'm here as a witness that says, you know, you can trust and you can rely on God every single day. And he will never disappoint you. Do I have any witnesses of that in here? So he took them on this journey and this experience. Sometimes they would feel like he was with them and other times they would pack it in. But through the point of that journey, they learned a point of reliance that we can rely on God. So one of the things that the Lord looks to test us when we've gone through our examination, tell, you the, tell the person next to you, just say, we've been, we've been examined. Go ahead and say that. Find someone else and say, you're in a test. <laughs> oh, I don't think they liked hearing that. Find the third person and say, how are you doing on your test? Go ahead and say that. Ooh, someone say, ouch. Yeah, yeah, I know, I don't always like tests. You know, I was talking to one of my sons, my wife and I, we have three adult sons, and all three of them are in college right now, all at the same time, and we were empty nesters for the first time in our lives. Oh, Lord. And, and we get a chance to send them texts and see how they're doing in school. You know, sometimes you send them out and they boomerang and come right back home. And, and so we try to, you know, and one of them said, school is good. He said, everything is fine. It's the tests I don't like. <laughs> we said, well, well, you better learn to take a test, brother. And, and, you know, and, and tests can be difficult and challenging, but there's something that's always being proven. Let me show you this text from Hebrews chapter 6 starting in verse 9. And the writer says, But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Verse 10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. The first verse, the writer was looking at this audience in the book of Hebrews, and he says, there's some things that I'm confident about. That when you look at everything that God has brought you through and everything that you've received, there's even some better things that are out there for you. That there's some promises that God has given you, and you haven't seen all the results yet. How many of you right now, you're ready for a new season of God's blessings on your life? Just say with me, thank you, Lord, for what's coming my way. Go ahead and say that. Say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing amongst all of us. Now, I want you to go ahead and thank the Lord for that right now. We're going to have just an atmosphere of praise and of faith and of worship. See, a challenge happens when we think that we've peaked. Oh, my Lord. Something wrong happens when we think we've reached our pinnacle. We, we get, you know, there was a, a minister, he says, we all become conservative when there's things we have, we want to conserve. <laughs> and and when, you, when you get to a point of arrival, you can become fearful. But what this writer was saying is there's some better things. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My Lord, there's some better things God has for us. God is good. God has been good. God is being good. And God shall be good. So we need to thank God for what he's done, what he's doing, and for the things we can't see right now that he shall do and wants to do based on the same promise of who he is, my Lord. And so the writer says, we are confident. Someone say with me, I am confident. Go ahead and say that. Ask your neighbor, say, are you confident? 
Are you confident that there's better things concerning you? Are you confident that right now that God has a word he wants to share through you that no one's heard yet? Are you confident right now that God is getting ready to send a harvest of blessings that no one has seen? Are you confident right now that the best days and some new days are ahead of you, ahead of your life, ahead of your family, ahead of this ministry, and we got to walk into them? Are you confident right now that if you cast out your faith, that God will be there on the other side and say, let's get ready to continue this journey, my Lord? It's confidence. Someone say with me, better things, oh Jesus. Say with me again, better things, oh Lord. Now, sometimes that hurts. But God is always being good. That's who we are here at New Covenant. Amen, church? Do I have any witnesses of that? It says, yes, things that accompany salvation. I love that phrase. See, salvation is good enough. But this writer says, but there's some things that come along with salvation. I'm so glad to see my brother, Pastor Brackle, here. And, and you know, I had a, a friend of mine who's a minister from Africa and you know what he told me? And he told me many years ago, I shouldn't say many, I should say 10 years ago. And he said, Aubrey, you know the problem that you uh, Western Christians have? <laughs> That's what he calls us. We calls it Western Christianity. You know? And he says, you guys worship God because of his things. He says, where God is, he brings things. He says, but sometimes you guys, and this is, you know, he loves us. He was ministering and he was good friend of mine, so we have these cross-cultural talks, and, and he says, but the problem you guys have on the Western side is you guys have to learn to unbundle God from his things. And he says, when you come to Africa, we worship God and we love God because we love God. And he says, if we get the things, praise God. If we don't see the things, praise God. God is still good. And he says, when you learn to worship that way, worship changes. But he said, but when I cross the ocean, I see people always want to say, well, God's going to give me a new car. God's going to give me a new suit. God's going to provide for me a new job. God's going to help my health. God's going to help my child do this. He says, it's all the things. He says, just learn to worship God. That's what we've learned to do. So I want us all right now just to go ahead and worship God. Can you forget about your things right now? There are things that accompany salvation. But let's just love God because we love God. We've come all this way. We've separated ourselves from our homes. We've come out here on a Sunday morning or connected in line because we love God. We love you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. We magnify your name. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation, the gift of your Son, the power of your Holy Spirit, the cleansing nature of the blood of Jesus that separates us from who we were and gives us access into the Holy of Holies. Thank you, Lord, for the new creation you're making in all of us, and we give you the highest praise today. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We exalt you, magnify you, honor you, and adore you and exalt your name. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you today in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all say hallelujah and amen. Hallelujah. One more shout of praise. Go ahead and just praise the Lord this morning. He's worthy of our praise. Oh, Jesus. He's worthy. He's worthy. God's worthy. Almighty creator, alpha and omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's worthy. Oh, Jesus.
our God is worthy. When we think of all that God has done, how many people, Jesus, can reflect on the miracle that God's done in your life? And you can stop all that you're doing right now and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. Not just because of what it meant in my life, because it cemented my relationship and who you are. You're always present, always available, always one that I can call on, always have my best interests at heart. When I felt overwhelmed and confused, you were present with me in spite of it all, my Lord. You're more than a champion because God is with you. So I don't need to ask God to remove the conflict. I just need to ask God, Lord, show up and show out, and I trust you still. If I'm in it, you're in it with me, and all shall be well in my soul. Oh, hallelujah. There's an old hymn that says, it is well. Oh, Jesus. It is well with my soul, Jesus. It is well. It is well with my soul. Sometimes you have to look at obstacles and conflict and challenges, and dissension and confusion. And you have to make a personal declaration to yourself when you say, it is well. It is well with my soul. I want to feel overwhelmed, feared, concerned, angry, frustrated, disappointed. But I'm going to make a declaration. It is well. It is well with my soul, Jesus. My mother taught me that there's different attitudes of worship and different songs. And she taught me all the literature and vocabulary of music. And she taught me once the distinctions between praise and worship. She said praise is when we thank God to others about all that God has done. It's when I look at you and I say, oh, my God is good. My God is great. My God is awesome. My God is mighty. My God is wonderful. I'm praising God. But she said, worship is when we pivot and we don't talk to others about God. We talk to God. And we say, you are my hiding place. I love you. I praise you and I honor you. I adore you. I worship you. She says, that's worship. You're talking. So I look back at my mother when I was young and I said, well, what about that song when we sing, it is well with my soul? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And my mother, Dr. Eve, she stopped and she said, we're not singing to others. We're not singing to the Lord. We're singing to ourselves. And when we say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, I'm making a decision. I'm going to bless the Lord right now. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. My soul wants to go somewhere else, my Lord. This has nothing to do with the message I prepared, but everything to do where I feel like the Lord. Sometimes we got to make a personal decision. So I'm taking authority over my own inner man and saying we're not going to be distracted. We're not going to let our thoughts drift, and we're not going to let our emotions dictate what we do. We've come to bless the Lord, my Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. I'm going to bless his holy name. And she taught me that song, my Lord. So when we look to this scripture, it says we're confident of all of these better things, and we worship God for who he is, even knowing that there's some things that accompany that salvation. And verse 10 says, for God is not unjust to forget your work. Tell someone next to you, say, God has not forgotten you. 
Oh, I want you to find someone else to say, you're not forgotten. Go ahead and say that. Find a third person and say, all that you've done for him, all that he's promised you, he still remembers. Hallelujah. How many of you remember that scripture? The promises of God are yes and amen. If God promised it, his end of the deal is still true. You are not forgotten. So the writer was telling them, in all of your testing times and this audience, these people were going through a test, just like we've been through a 40-year examination. God hasn't forgotten us. God hasn't forgotten the promises he's put on this church, my Lord. God is going to fulfill everything he's declared in the beginning. He shall go ahead and fulfill. That nothing is left, nothing is undone, nothing's going to be forgotten, nothing's going to be removed. God shall fulfill everything that he's promised. I need some witnesses in this house this morning. Why do I say that? Because it's the truth. (laughs) You know, God does not repent or turn around of his own promises. Even though sometimes we like to think so because we break promises And we think God is a grown-up version of us, but he isn't. God does not break his promises nor his covenants. He's faithful. So, so for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. How many people in here are working right now for the Lord? All right, I see about 20% of the hands. We're going to work on this, Pastor Oliver. All right. How many people here know you have a work to do for the Lord? Raise your hand. All right, uh, that's about 60% of us. We need a sign-up sheet in here. We, can, we don't even need a, you know, let me, well, in, in the old days, we'd have sign-up sheets. Now you could probably text something or do something online or, or go in on Zoom and do all kinds. But we need to see everyone doing a work or a labor of love. I need someone to say amen to that in this church. I'm home, so I could, I could give you a hard word and run out of here. This isn't a place where we come in and sit and park. New Covenant isn't a place where we come to see what God is saying. This is a place where we come to participate in what God is doing. We need every hand on deck in this church. Amen. Someone say amen with me on that. If you didn't like what I just said, I still love you. But you got to get involved. And I'll tell you why. Because in the scripture it says God is not unjust not just to forget his promises, but to forget your work and labor of love. There all is a work or a labor of love that we all have to take part in, which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. He says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That's basically saying don't quit. What you've started in zeal, continue in zeal. What you've started to do in day one, I don't know if we, do we have any original founding members here this morning? Just raise your hand this morning for the, that we're here all 40 years. Just stand up and be honored amongst us. Amen. Church, I want us all to thank God for some of these soldiers that have been here for 40 years. Amen. We honor you. We honor your commitment, your steadfastness, your dedication, and all that you've done. Amen. Amen. And, you know, when, when you start something 40 years ago, you can get tired. Oh, Lord. <laughs> the whole church went quiet on me. Some of us, we don't get tired in 40 years. We get tired in 40 minutes. <laughs> oh, Lord. I remember when I used to run track, and, uh, and there was a race that we ran. It was uh, called the 400 meters. And the 400 meters is one time around the track. 
and the hardest leg to run was the second leg, the second hundred. Uh, and the reason why is, you know, the first hundred, everybody's excited. The race just started. And you, you can just start going. And, you know, you, you hear the crowd and you, you feel the emotion and you have all that, that adrenaline. But when you get to that backstretch 200, it's, it's a, you know, the crowd is far away from you. <laughs> and, and so your mom and your dad and your friends, are they're, they're, so, they're like, who is that over there? Is that Aubrey? I, I don't even know who. They can't even tell who you are. You've been running for a while, and you still have a long way to run. And right then, any person who has run track knows that's when you want to quit. I've been doing this for a while. I don't see the end in sight. You know, I feel all alone and isolated. Man, I could just walk off this track right here at this back gate. But you got to power through that leg. Someone say power through with me. Go ahead and sit. Then you get to the third hundred, and you know, that, 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 that third leg, that 300 meters, and you're coming around the corner, and you start getting that inkling of hope. You start seeing that finish line. Then you get down to the last stretch, that last 400 meters, and you get excited because you see the tape coming and there's a lot of people, they can run that last 400 better than they could the second 200 because they can see the end in sight. You know, in this scripture, when I see this scripture and it says show the same diligence, it's avoid the tendency to quit when something inside you says quit. You've got to power through. You got to stay true to the cause. You got to run hard when you've been running for a while and still got a long way to run. And something inside you has to look at yourself and say, I will not stop. I will not give up. I will trust my form. I will trust my preparation. I will keep my values and I'll take authority over myself because I'm going to finish this race, my Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. It's not popular, but it's right. And what this scripture is saying is we've got to show the same diligence. Someone say with me, the same diligence, my Lord. Find someone around you say, stay consistent. Go ahead and say that. Oh, my Lord. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. In verse 12, that you do not become sluggish. And I love this word right here. But imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know, I was taught all my life, you're not supposed to imitate people. Be your own person. This scripture is saying, it's giving a distinction to that. There are some people we're supposed to imitate. <laughs> tell the person next to you, just say, you need a mentor. Go ahead and tell them that. Find a second person. You need a mentor. Third person for the Holy Spirit. If you're not around three people, you're sitting too far from everybody else. I love you. I'm just joking with you. This scripture says, imitate those, the inference there is people, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Everyone needs a mentor, but we need the right kind. In this scripture, the author was telling this audience, in this test that you're gone through and going through, this is one of the things that's going to propel you through it. Know the people you should be imitating. And these are the traits of a good mentor. Those who show faith, and in this scripture it says patience, and it really means perseverance. The people who are in the room that say, we will not quit. The people in the room that says, God has something for us to do. The people in the room that says, God has some promises that have yet gone unfulfilled, but he will show up. 
It's the people in the room that says God is with us every single day. He has not left us nor forsaken us nor abandoned us. It's the people that still have all those values that say we should trust God, we should trust God, and never let go of his hands. That's faith. The people in the room that say quit, leave, find another place that's safer. Stop doing what you're doing because it's not working. Those are the people we don't imitate. Oh, I need to hear a witness in here. Go ahead and tell the person next to you, say, you need to know who to imitate. Go ahead and tell them that. It says, those people that demonstrate faith and patience, and patience there literally means those who in tough times don't give up. Don't follow people who have a track record of quitting. Oh, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Don't follow people who are the first people to say, you should leave her. Leave him. Stop doing that. Stop speaking that word. You're putting in too much effort. I'm going to give you another sentiment of my, I don't know, I come here, I just see my mom all the time. I was talking to Bishop, and I'm giving you some of her, her mother-son advice. And when I was a young guy coming out of college and I got my first job, my mom pulled me to the side. And, and she pulled me to the side, and she said, let me give you some advice, Aubrey. She said, when you go to your job on the first day, and you walk into that office, the first person who comes up to you and says, Aubrey, why don't we get together for lunch? She said, avoid that guy. <laughs> the, the one who walks past everybody and, and, and makes a beeline to you, and, and they, they say, you, you know, maybe we could get together for lunch sometime, and, and you and me, she says, you know, just, that's when you say, well, that's a good idea. Thank you for that request. And you know, I'll, I'll think about that and get back to you in a few days or what have you. She says, be careful of that person because she said that's the person who on that job is looking for friends. <laughs> this isn't scriptural. I'm just giving you mother advice, all right? She said that right now they're probably all alone and they're, they're trying to build up their own posse here and they're, they're their own set of colleagues. Be careful. She said, but this is what you do. Find the person who has their head down in the cubicle who's working up a storm, who's got too much to do, but yet people still give more stuff to do. And she says, just start doing what they're doing. And, and here was another one of my mom's colloquialisms. She says, find out what time your boss goes to work and make sure you go there before he does. And never leave before he does. Be there before him, leave after him, and know who to avoid. I hope somebody's hearing me right now. And, and, and she gave me just those little nuggets of advice, and I still think they were indispensable to all the promotions I had because people saw work ethic. The moral of the story is you have to know who to imitate. You have to know that people in your crowd, in your context, you say, if I follow them, they will lead me astray. And if I follow this individual and take those values on and become part of that context, I will do better. And so in the scripture, he says, uh, and do not become sluggish. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit or receive the promises. Then in verse 13, he says, for when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless you. This is the promises of Abraham. And multiplying I will multiply you. The same promises of Abraham are the same promises we have. And in verse 15, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Verse 16 gives a little bit of Hebraisms. He says, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. 
Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, I love this phrase, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. I'm going to synopse all of that into one phrase. It's saying that when God gives a word, that's all he has to do. It will be faithful. It will prove itself. But what this writer was saying is, but God sometimes does some things that he doesn't even have to do for us. And he is basically saying in our customs, we have all of this protocol of how we determine if a person, if what they're swearing is true. Kind of like how we say on my mother's grave, on my grandmother's, whatever. He said they had all of those ways. And he says when God makes a promise, he doesn't have to do all any of that. But what he did for us is he came down and, and he came down and spoke a language we could understand to prove that his word, his counsel, what he told us to do, would never change, that he would always be faithful. Someone say with me, God is always faithful. Go ahead and say that. Say, God is being faithful right now. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to thank the Lord for that right now. Say, the Lord is being faithful over everything that he's promised me. God hasn't changed with his promises. That's his way of saying God did that and proved it to us in a language we could understand. And then in verse 18, he says that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And I'm going to read this last verse, and then I'm going to show you an illustration. This hope we have, oh my Lord, do I love this verse, as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. You know, I'm gonna, there's a, a graphic. I want to see if we have, do we have that graphic of the ship uh, in the water that we could actually put up? I don't know if it's up there. You see this right here? And, and this is a graphic. And if you look, if you can play it, great. If you can't, don't worry about it. But you see that water there? What do you see when you look at it? You see water, you see a, a ship, you see an island. How many of you right now could, could do with a good trip to the island? Say amen. Yeah, I know my wife is shouting amen and doing her Pentecostal dance. And, and, and you, you see, you know, when you look at that water, what else do you see? You see waves. How many of you see waves there? All right, now let me give you a little bit of engineering. Those ships, okay, you see the waves in the water, and the waves are being influenced by what? Those waves are being influenced by the wind. Wherever the wind blows, Jesus, this always gets me, the waves go. If the wind blows north, the waves go north. The wind blows east, you see the waves east. So the waves that you see, oh Jesus, are tributary to something that you can't see. Oh Lord. I see the waves blowing. I can't see the wind, but based on the waves, I already know that there's something going on that I can't see that's pushing things around. I hope someone's hearing this. But yet, when I look at those ships, think about this carefully. Are those ships feeling those waves? Somebody help me. Have you ever been in a boat, a cruise, and, and you can feel the waves? Now, now, those ships feel the waves, but why isn't those ships moving? Because they got an anchor. Oh, Jesus. Someone's going to get this in a second. You see, the whole science behind an anchor is I can be in a boat, I can be on the water. Something can be going on that I don't see that's influencing all the waves around me. But if I got an anchor, oh, someone's going to hear it in a second, in a second. I can see the waves, 
I may feel the trembling, but I shall not be moved. I hope somebody's hearing me in a second. But the key is, I've got to have an anchor. It doesn't matter how great the ship is, if it doesn't have an anchor, it will move with every one of those waves. Now let's talk about that anchor. What does the anchor do? That anchor is cast out from the boat. Where does it go? It goes through the water. Someone say through the water. And what is it anchoring? It anchors in the mud line, oh Jesus, on the other side of the water. Your anchor is not anchored to the water. Your anchor is anchored to something under the water. And so what the writer is saying is we have to anchor our soul in something that's not movable. Oh, someone's going to hear me in a second. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I can't put my joy based on my job. I can't put my happiness based upon the amount of money I see. I can't let my joy and my peace be dictated by the people around me. I can't get all my joy and my sense of consolation about what I see on the news and what's going on in the community. I've got to get my soul anchored in Jesus, my Lord. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. The anchor is your faith. That's what the writer is saying. Your soul is the ship. Your anchor is your faith. And you anchor your faith to what the writer says, to the presence behind the veil. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. The one that Jesus gave us access to by separating the the tent so that we could all now go to the Holy of Holies. The Hebrews would understand what this means. I've got to anchor my soul in Christ. I've got to anchor my soul in godliness. I've got to anchor my soul to the one that Christ gave me full access to. I've got to anchor my soul using my faith and my joy and my trust and my peace and knowing that I can walk right into the Holy of Holies, my Lord. I anchor my soul and my faith on the one who's immutable and never changing. And that's my consolation, oh my Lord. Then when I go through life and I experience life's tests, I won't be moved. That doesn't mean I won't see things. You see the waves. It doesn't mean you won't feel things. You'll feel things. But your conclusion becomes different. I see the waves and I may feel the trembling, but I still won't be moved. Just because they're blowing east doesn't mean I'll go east. I feel the, the siblings and the rumblings, but there's something else that's anchoring me. That's above and beyond everything else that I don't see. That's how we anchor our soul. Do you receive that this morning, church? Can you stand with me to your feet just for a moment? A promise was given, and the blessing is coming. A promise was given, and the blessing is still coming. One more time. God has given us promises. Don't give up. Don't think that they won't be. Don't think that those seasons and those chapters are over. Don't think that all the words and the rhema words we've heard are items of the past. There's a fulfillment that's coming. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus, Jesus. A promise is coming. I'm like, I'm watching someone about to give birth. That's how I feel right now. There's a promise that's coming. Be with those who are talking in faith. You're going to have to make some contrasts. Some people you have to say, I'm going to have to walk past you if you're talking that way. If you want out and you want to quit or you want to put half effort in, I can't be with you. I want to be with those who have faith and perseverance, believe in the values about what God is doing. That's who I'm going to be with. There's a promise coming. Make sure you're on the right side of the promise. You know, this morning I was just contemplating different things. And in the recent weeks, I was asked to submit an article to a Christian magazine on leadership from a biblical standpoint and a scholarly standpoint. And to make a long story short, contemporary scholarship is showing that although we have leaders, leadership is a relationship. Leadership is a relationship between those aspiring to lead and everyone following them. I hope somebody's hearing me. If we want good leadership, we all play a role. I hope somebody's hearing me. Every single one of us. There's toxic leaders and there's toxic followers. Oh, Jesus. We all play a part. I'm going to leave you with this last commendation. Make sure that we reinforce our leaders. Amen? That New Covenant is a place of good followership. I need someone to say amen with me on that. That when we start to go, we all go together. Oh, that's not strong enough for me. That when it's time for us to do what God has called us to do, we all join arms, join ranks, and go there with the full strength of the house. I just feel like God wants me to tell you this. Don't allow the devil to come in and siphon one another off with conflict and dissension and confusion and disagreement. We're all together in the name of Jesus. And we all contribute to a strong, righteous environment together. And that environment brings forth good leadership. It allows leaders to lead and allows followers to be under good leadership. God has so much for us. He's been so faithful. And there's a promise that's coming. Lord, today, we submit ourselves to you, to your voice, to your call. We anchor ourselves in you, not on things influenced by man and not based upon men or women. We anchor ourselves in you. So come today, freely lead us, freely guide us. Let your anointing fall on this house and let this new season be greeted with a new harvest that speaks of promises that have always been given. We're ready. Oh Lord, we're ready to receive all that you're looking to share. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the whole church says, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a shout of praise. Give him a shout of praise this morning. Thank you for joining us in service today. 
We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.